0: Coming up this evening, an NTD Business, new filing show Tesla boss Elon Musk donated 5 million of the company's shares to a charity last year. How much was it worth? Delivery company DoorDash clamping down on McDonald's, planning to raise fees for locations that keep drivers waiting for food too long. And inflation keeps heading north. New government data shows wholesale prices jumped 1% last month alone, much higher than expected. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway placed a rare bet on a tech company late last year. It's already paying off. Berkshire bought nearly 1 billion dollars worth of shares in Activision Blizzard according to a new SEC filing it happened in the first quarter the quarter before Microsoft agreed to buy the video game maker outright now Activision's trading a lot higher which means a quick gain for Berkshire of 23% not bad It's not clear whether Buffett decided to make the investment or someone else on his team did. Berkshire isn't invested in Microsoft, even though Buffett is good friends with Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates. Buffett stepped down as a trustee of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation last year. Gates resigned from the boards of both Microsoft and Berkshire Hathaway in 2020. More details about the stock purchase are expected later this month when Berkshire releases its year-end results. Elon Musk donated millions of Tesla shares to a charity last November, worth a significant amount of money. It's according to a new filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, and entity's fake quarter has the details.
1: Elon Musk donated almost $6 billion worth of Tesla shares to charity in November. The CEO gave away more than 5 million shares in the electric automaker from November 19th to November 29th last year. That's according to a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The donation's worth, based on the closing prices of Tesla's shares on the five days he donated it, was around $5.74 billion. However, the filing did not disclose the name of the recipient charity. Musk's donation came at a time when he was trading barbs with politicians Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who called on wealthy people to pay more taxes. Last year, the billionaire sold $16.4 billion worth of shares after polling Twitter users about offloading 10% of his stake in Tesla. Analysts have said there would be a tax benefit for Musk potentially gifting stock since shares donated to charity are not subject to capital gains tax, as they would be if sold. Faye Quarter, NTD News.
0: A donation puts Musk as America's second biggest donor last year after Bill and Melinda Gates. According to data from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Wall Street ended sharply higher today, but glad to hear all three major indexes, notched solid advances. The Dow rose 423 points by one and two-tenths of a percent, SP 500 gained 69 points by 1 and 6 tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq today gained nearly 350 points by 2.5% today for the NASDAQ. Over in Big Tech, Facebook has agreed to pay $90 million to settle a privacy lawsuit. lawsuit claims Facebook tracked users' online activities even after they logged off the platform. According to the users, that violated federal and state privacy and wiretapping laws. This was between April 2010 and September 2011. It also claims Facebook compiled users' browsing histories into profiles and sold that to advertisers. According to the settlement papers, Facebook denies any wrongdoing, but settled to avoid a trial. And another day, another deal in the semiconductor industry. Chip giant Intel signed a deal to buy Israeli firm Tower Semiconductor. It makes chips used in pretty much everything from cars, medical devices, to industrial equipment. The deal is worth $5.4 billion dollars. Intel is looking to further expand its manufacturing capacity and technology portfolio amid rising chip demand. The deal is expected to close in about a year and a half, but it has already been approved by both boards. It is still subject to regulatory approvals, including approval from Tower's shareholders. Tower, the company said, will remain independent until the deal closes, then will be integrated into Intel Foundry Services, that's a new unit Intel established a year ago to help meet growing chip demand. Towers Tel Aviv shares rose 48% in after-hours trading on the Nasdaq yesterday after that news of the possible acquisition was first reported. And despite receiving billions in funding, food delivery apps are generally unprofitable, did you know that? They run on razor-thin margins, making maybe only a few cents in every order. Now seemingly in a bid to to boost its margins, DoorDash wants to punish McDonald's for keeping its drivers waiting too long. We talked to multiple experts in the restaurant and food industry to get their take, as well as one restaurant owner who calls the idea crazy. So will these companies ever become profitable? If so, how? And today's con Fredrickson has more.
2: DoorDash is raising fees on McDonald's restaurants that take too much time to complete an order. If the driver has to wait over seven minutes, rates will climb by 6%.
3: They're trying to obviously make their operations more efficient with the DoorDash delivery so delivery drivers can line up those deliveries and do more of
2: them. Bob Bilbrook is the CEO of Capture, a business consultancy with its own delivery division. Bilbrook says the food delivery business has razor thin margins. Delivery apps make money by charging restaurants a percentage of an order and by charging customers a service fee and a Deutsche Bank analysis found that DoorDash makes an average of 2.5% on the average order. So that's 90 cents on an order of $36. DoorDash has never made an annual profit. They cannot afford to give up margins So that they have to keep raising the rates, the commission rates and the fees and all that. Santosh Rao is the head of research at Manhattan Venture Partners. Rao says they've also been hit by a driver shortage, which means they must pay drivers more. Drivers are their biggest expense.
4: More often than not, believe it or not, we're waiting for the driver.
2: Wing Lam is the owner of Wahoo's Fish Taco, which has around 60 locations in the United States and Japan. Lam says the idea is crazy
4: idea though it's us not them it's i would say maybe one out of ten maybe us because we are busy at lunch
2: lamb says delivery apps aren't very good for restaurants
4: every single one of my friends uh, has lost money you give them anywhere between 25 and 40 percent of the dollar right Because you can say, hey, I'm going to lose 10 to 20 cents per transaction because I'm going to introduce my brand to people and hopefully they'll come into the restaurant.
2: Lamb says delivery apps sell restaurants on the idea that this is a way to market themselves. But people who order online rarely visit in person.
4: They're too far out of the way or... whatever reason, they're not going to go there. They order from there because it's convenient.
2: Lamb says he's renegotiated with delivery companies, so he's now breaking even on deliveries, as opposed to losing money. Izzy Kirish is the president of Hospitality Works, a restaurant consultancy that's worked with over 700 restaurants. Kirish says... It's a money loser. And
5: a number of cities, I think San Francisco, Chicago, and New York, are stepping in and putting a cap on it because... They see this as restaurants uh, being taken advantage of.
2: Despite being generally unprofitable, delivery apps received over 25 billion in venture capital last year, according to PitchBook. So the name of the game now is to scale up. So they deliver everything across the board. Like I said, they have deals with uh, all pharmacies and other Grocery chains and all that. And a potential future innovation could lower their biggest expense, the drivers. So let's say
3: within five to six years, you have fully autonomous vehicles that can deliver. You don't have to worry about, you know, the hourly fee. You don't have to worry about how the splits and things like that.
2: DoorDash's new policy for McDonald's is set to begin in 2023. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News.
0: looks like inflation is still heading north. The producer price index, which keeps tabs on average price changes U.S. producers get for their goods, rose 9.7 percent in the 12-month period that ended last month, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's much higher than economists had predicted. The price increase for January 2022 alone was a full percentage point twice as fast as forecasters predicted and double December's pace. If food, trade, and energy services have taken out of January's data, inflation rose 0.9%. That's a high not seen since January 2021. And across the Atlantic, Europe's GDP growth slowed considerably in the fourth quarter of last year, falling from 2.3% in the third quarter to 0.3% in the fourth. As despite central bank interest rates still at record low levels and continued central bank stimulus in the form of bond purchases, more jobs were added, but at a slower pace than the previous two months. Joining us with everything that's happening here in Europe is Daniel Akai, chief economist at the Tresses Hedge Fund, where he helps manage over $6 billion in assets. Also the author of Life in the Financial Markets. Daniel, great to see you. Thanks for coming on.
4: Thank you very much for having me. So,
0: Daniel, you watch European e- economics and finance as close as, as anybody. How would you sum up what's happening there? Is it much of the same as what we're seeing in the States? High inflation, labor shortage, are you seeing it there in Europe?
4: In the case of the, of the European Union, what we're seeing is a very uneven recovery. There are a number of countries that have fully recovered the GDP of the, to the levels before the pandemic. Uh, but there are other countries that have not achieved that, uh, that uh, recovery yet, Spain, for example. And uh, we have uh, a very elevated level of debt. And the difference probably with the United States is that the recovery of the labor market is a lot slower. If you look, for example, at the number of furlough jobs, added to the very high level of unemployment it is still a very stubborn uh, level of weakness in the labor market you
0: mentioned just now that some countries are
4: improving and back to
0: pre-pandemic levels faster than others in europe what do you put that down to generally
4: i would say it's down to a combination of policy some countries decided to reduce taxes to help the productive sector and to maintain as many businesses alive as possible, whilst others decided to simply maintain public spending at any, at any cost and gave very small support. To the productive fabric no so that is one important factor the other important factor I think as well is uh, that in the countries that are lagging you see for example that they have uh, uh, A fabric of businesses that is fundamentally very, very small companies, and therefore what that creates is a much more difficult environment to recover, because what we're seeing is a K-shaped recovery in business. That What shows is that the majority of large companies have recovered pretty well. However, small businesses are recovering very, very slowly.
0: This seems, as you mentioned, to be a feature as we come out of the pandemic or at least move through the pandemic. Where else, you're often called the big picture guy, where else do you see the big changes coming in the global economy through this pandemic?
4: I think that uh, what uh, we are learning after the pandemic and the subsequent recovery is that Latin America and uh, the Eurozone, are significantly lagging behind the united states and asia Uh, while we see a a very robust recovery in asian countries and the even with the slowdown of china we uh, the surprise factor in in countries like japan south korea etc is significantly more positive than what was initially expected. Uh, in the case of Latin America, the recovery is truly atrocious, despite the recovery in commodities. And in the Eurozone, it is also very, very slow.
0: Again, I want to pressure, what do you put this down to?
4: I think that ultimately it's been a very simple difference between the countries that decided to have policies that supported free markets businesses uh small and medium enterprises relative to those that decided that they would go for the most aggressive lockdowns on top of bloating government spending i think it's so evident when you look at the weakness of the recovery of uh argentina of mexico of some of the eurozone economies that have more socialist governments i think that it's so AMAZING TO SEE THAT THE RECOVERY FROM THE PANDEMIC HAS SHOWN YET AGAIN THAT IN THE EUROZONE, Ireland, for example, and the countries that have uh, higher levels of economic freedom have risen back from the pandemic stronger. Yet the ones that decided to go to aggressive levels of government spending and massive uh, levels of intervention, those are lagging behind. So it's, again, it's, it's proving that if you support Uh, the real economy and businesses and you support free markets uh, you recover faster and if you decide to go down the route of uh, 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 government uh, for government's sake then it's uh, it's truly truly negative
0: daniel kai tresses appreciate it thank you
4: thank you very much
0: The tax watchdog in Great Britain has seized three non-fungible tokens, or NFTs. It's in a fraud case worth millions. According to Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, it's the first time the UK government confiscated NFTs. It was part of a larger investigation into a value-added tax, or VAT, fraud case worth $2 million. Suspects allegedly tried claiming more VAT tax, that's a type of sales tax, Then they were actually owed. They used a mix of stolen identities and over 200 fake companies. The tax watchdog says this is a warning to anyone who's trying to hide money from them using crypto assets. It looks like the debt crisis that faced Chinese real estate developer Evergrande is now impacting the wallets of local Chinese authorities. Real estate projects have long been key to funding local governments in China. So what are they turning to now? Anthony Ma has the details.
6: Evergrande's fallout has left local Chinese governments to find alternative means of revenue other than real estate, and that is foreign investment.
5: Local governments in particular are becoming more eager to attract foreign investment as a kind of substitute for the slowdown in real estate projects that have long been key to funding local government in China.
6: Shanghai recently announced it had signed off on 53 foreign investment projects. They are worth a total of $5.4 billion. This move is an outcome of the Evergrande crisis.
5: Because as I mentioned, the, the fact that domestic investment may dry up somewhat because of a number of big companies going bankrupt, or at least... These
6: foreign investment projects are in areas including manufacturing, high-tech, and infrastructure.
5: What they need is a new source of investment capital that isn't as encumbered with debt as companies like Evergrande. There are a lot of of property companies in China, starting with Evergrande and, and a number of others, that are... Uh, teetering uh, on the edge of bankruptcy in part because...
6: A business professor tells us that investment in these Chinese projects may not be a great idea right now, especially in infrastructure.
2: And I think those Chinese real estate uh, companies are facing more pressure to generate enough revenue to, to pay their debt, to pay off their debts. So investing in Chinese infrastructure is not a good idea definitely not a good idea. I think the the real estate bubble is about to burst.
6: But Nolte says in the long term, he thinks China's real estate market will likely attract foreign investors. Don Ma, NTD News.
0: With that, we're going to take a quick break, but still to come this evening, Spider-Man No Way Home becoming the third biggest movie ever in box office history in the country, surpassing the science fiction epic Avatar. And a wildlife streaming service finds a new source of income selling NFTs, or digital collectibles, to help conserve wild habitats. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Justin Bieber's donut line with Tim Hortons is a hit. The Canadian coffee chain's parent company reports sales rose over 10% at stores open at least a year in the fourth quarter of 2021. Tim Hortons released the Bieber donuts in November. The jump in sales reversed an 11% decline during the same quarter a year ago. The limited edition is, treats are is called Tim Beeb's Tim Bits. Features three flavors created by Bieber: chocolate wine, f- tw- chocolate white fudge, sour cream chocolate chip, and birthday cake waffle. The chain turned to Bieber's star power after sales sagged because many people working from home during the pandemic got out of their habit of coming in for breakfast. And Spider-Man No Way Home continues to break records at the box office. The movie is now the third highest grossing domestic release in history. Pushing the 2019 science fiction epic Avatar to number four, moviegoers pushed No Way Home to that spot Monday after buying a million dollars worth of tickets. The movie has almost grossed a whopping $761 million at the domestic box office. That's despite launching exclusively in theaters only in December. Avengers Endgame and Star Wars The Force Awakens are still the two top highest grossing movies ever. It's been one year since NASA's Perseverance rover landed on Mars. Spacecraft is on a two-year mission exploring the planet's dry river delta. Part of that mission means drilling into rocks that could hold evidence of life 3 billion to four billion years ago Anthony Sandra Thomas reports
3: in February 2021 NASA made history by putting a spacecraft on Mars the Perseverance rover landed near an ancient river delta in Jezero crater on February 18, 2021 to search for signs of ancient microscopic life five cameras sent images back to Earth
6: so, when we, when I heard about the successful landing and I was at home with my family and my young kids, which was actually really nice to be able to share that moment with them, I felt such a release, re- release and relief at successfully having landed Perseverance on Mars.
3: But celebrations were short-lived. The mission was still in its early days.
6: But for those of us on the science and operation teams, landings are really when the work begins for us. And so, We had this moment of celebration, but then we had a couple of hours and then we had to begin uh, operations and and telling the rover how to prepare itself and and to do its work on the surface of Mars.
3: Perseverance is one year into a two-year mission to explore the dry river delta and drill into rocks that may hold evidence of life from 3 billion to 4 billion years ago. The core samples will be sent back to Earth a decade from now for study.
0: When we got the data down, and we saw that we had a sealed sample,
5: we couldn't be more ecstatic. It worked.
3: NASA expects to bring back the rocks as early as 2031, several years before the first astronauts might arrive on the red planet. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: And Virgin Galactic says it's ready to start offering the general public an out-of-this-world experience. Starting Wednesday, the space travel company says people can apply to reserve a spot for its next trip to space. As you can imagine, space travel is not cheap. Total cost for a reservation is $450,000. An initial deposit of $150,000 holds your spot. Virgin Galactic says those who take the trip will experience an hour-and-a-half-long journey from Earth to space and back and see what the planet looks like from far above as well. 1,000 people are slated to be on board the initial flight later this year. To make a reservation, apply at VirginGalactic.com. Godspeed. And Wild Earth, the wildlife streaming service, is minting NFTs for 25 animals on a game reserve in South Africa. It's then going to donate 40% of the sale proceeds to the wildlife habitat. If they just Colin Fredrickson has more.
2: Leopards in South Africa have been transformed into NFTs in a new project to raise money for a conservation fund. Wild Earth, a wildlife streaming service, is minting NFTs linked to 25 animals on the Juma Game Reserve. Buyers will get special access to images, video, and information about the animal via an app. They also get voting rights for the names of the leopard's cubs.
5: If we don't create the necessary economic incentives to conserve wildlife, it won't happen. If it doesn't pay, it won't stay.
2: Each NFT currently costs around $200.
5: Wild Earth can scale this, and we've got a plan to scale this in our roadmap to all conservation areas around the world.
2: Colin Fredrickson, NTD News.
0: That's the latest business updates for today. Can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. From the business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.